Hey guys, welcome back to the OPD podcast. Uh, Joe couldn't make it on today, so it's going to be just myself, but we do have a special guest on today. Um, we brought on an awesome female guest today. I know we have a lot of male guests on here. We're trying to diversify, make sure we give you guys a variety of topics. But today we brought on IFBB Pro Lauren Conlin, who, um, who I've been fortunate enough to interact with some, especially more recently through uh, various uh, seminars and just some some different events so wanted to bring her on and talk about a very female specific topic though males do definitely deal with this but it's much more in the female realm and that's the shelf life of the competitor so um, things that you know you want to watch out for ways that you can maximize the longevity of yourself as a competitor if you do want to compete long term how you can continue to improve long term because I think Unfortunately, if anyone's been around more than a couple years, they'll notice the turnover rate in female competitors is extremely high. Um, and those of you guys that listen that are coaches also, I mean, you see it all the time. They just, it's, it's difficult. So before we get into that, uh, Lauren, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, you know, all that good stuff for people that don't know you. First of all, Austin, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've loved that we've had the opportunity to speak at some events together, and I really appreciate this. So here's my awkward intro, because I hate giving introductions. But yes, I am an IFBB Bikini Pro. I've been competing since 2011. I also have my master's in exercise science. So I actually did uh, different research. My research was in different types of dieting. So um, meal plans, uh, flexible dieting, weight loss, weight gain, weight regain, that whole kind of world and then i am a full-time online coach so owner of team loco fit i have a few coaches that work with me as well and yeah that's kind of the gamut and i travel around and speak and we do different events yeah is that is, was that good yes that's fantastic <laughs> is that my elevator pitch i've always tried to like work on that and i was like i'm just not concise enough for an elevator pitch like it's got to be a long ass elevator ride for me <laughs> yeah one yeah that that is especially if it's like <laughs> more than a couple floors <laughs> Yeah, like, hey, what kind of elevator are we on? Are we at the Holiday Inn or are we at the Empire State Building? Because I can, I can only do the second one. <laughs> um, but in any case, this is a topic that I'm incredibly passionate about, not only as a competitor, but especially as a coach. And I've, you know, jacked this up personally and with clients. So I've seen this firsthand um, from both spectrums. And it's really, really sad. Um, and it's really, really heartbreaking. And it's something that is just too common. So I'm really glad that we're going to be talking about this um, in particular for females, because I do think that males deal with this, but in a far less uh, degree, I guess you could say the severity is just a little bit less. Right? Yeah, and the pressures for a male are different for the divisions. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but just the differences in uh, biologically, you know, the resilience of a male versus yes. a female is just vastly different, you know, and, and males probably not to exclude males because I mean, they do, they suffer yes. from different issues. Like a guy has more, especially bodybuilders need more muscle mass, which comes with its own like host yes. of issues host at of some issues. point, but, but it's not generally chronic right. dieting. Right. Yeah. So it's a different issue. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's almost the opposite. It's almost literally the opposite in that the muscle mass and if they're enhanced, like, you know, usage of PEDs and stuff like that, it's completely different problem typically. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I would love to see, I'd love to see like a, like a case study on this, but I would say the average, you know, the average shelf life of a female competitor, just your person that goes to the gym and wants to try competing. And I would say it's maybe two to three shows at most, probably. Okay. Just because, and this is why I say this is because typically what you'd see a lot is that first show, and I'm sure you'll agree that first show, you can just abuse yourself. Like you're not going to really and you're going to get in shape, right? Because you've never been, like your body's never been that deprived outside of people that have maybe been yo-yo dieting for like years on end, mm -hmm. you know, prior. But a lot of people, they've just never been to that shape and to where their metabolic health and hormonal health was really compromised as to that degree. So they can, you know, they can beat themselves up pretty bad. And that second show, they're like, oh, wait, I'm not really responding the same as I did the first time. And, so, yep. and things start to kind of creep in. Maybe it's the disordered eating, the hormonal issues, this, you know, and then if you got through the, if you got through the first off season, that is, <laughs> but, but well, you know, yeah. like, you know, what, what tends to happen is they, they do run into those issues maybe after the show and then they jump into the second show. 
that's what I wanted to touch on. I was hoping that you were going to lead into that. So what a lot of people do, particularly females, um, because the requirements are generally a lot less with muscle mass right now, I would still argue that if you want to be competitive, you need to have a decent amount of muscle mass. But we're talking the first case, case study that we're talking about is somebody who just wants to do a show first time at it. Okay. So maybe they don't even have all the muscle mass that they need, but let's just say that this is their first time and they get on stage and they diet really hard and they look pretty good. And then what ends up happening is that people really like it. They really like the process. They really like the excitement of being on stage. They really like that dopamine hit and they really like the structure that prep gives them. So prep is over and then the floodgates open. And then what ends up happening is people go, oh, I must need prep to get back to that. I need my old body back. I need my old habits back when they don't realize that it's not the prep that's doing it, it's actually the prep that's causing all these issues, right? Um, so if people don't know, and I'm sure everybody listening here does, but just as a little recap, if you are dieting down to be pretty much stage lean, you are going to be suffering from a lot of different physiological issues. So you're in the, pretty much like a semi-starvation period for months on end, and this is not something to take lightly, right? Particularly for females, particularly for natural females. Um, you're getting to a body fat level that is so unnatural for most people that you're going to be going through tons of different side effects. And as soon as that diet's over, your body, your mindset now is shifted to, okay, it's over, carrot's gone from the end of the stick, what, what's going to happen now? And then that's when like, the proverbial floodgates of all the eating issues, all of the just like chaotic things that happen afterwards, now your metabolism's tanked, now your hormones are tanked, your relationship with food sucks, and you're desperate to get on stage again. So what do you do? You diet again. But now you have to diet more aggressively because you didn't take enough time off and you didn't actually build those habits. And now you actually have less muscle mass than when you started, so you need to diet more aggressively. And then it happens over and over and over again. And I've seen this where people go through it many, many times, and they end up craving that stage, that stage lean look and that stage lifestyle to the point where they're just completely blinded from all the other issues that they're having. Yeah. Yeah. And you brought up a good point about less muscle mass. Like you, the idea of competing is to progress. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, you're already, you know, you're already not progressing at that point. And, and you brought up a point about males obviously needing more muscle mass, but the difference is that it takes females so much longer to build it that it's really not that much different. Yeah. It's not that much like, different. Yeah. It, it really isn't, you know, so the, the guy might build 10 pounds of muscle in a year. The girl might build two mm -hmm. or three, you know, or that's like so relative to the, right. typically the, sure. you know, the division. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and the majority of majority of girls and just don't, like when they get an actual stage condition, don't really have the muscle that they thought they probably did. Like, like those glutes in their yoga pants that were mostly fat, like they're just not there when they, oh, yeah. you know, when they diet down, like it's, it's so, so, and you mentioned it, like if you, if you do want to be competitive, it has gotten more muscular and it's, and you have to have the muscle, like it's, yeah, and it does take a lot of time. So, and, and then, you know, and of course you're running into the hormonal issues and the cascade of all these things happening. And, and, you know, if you're looking at research and we've talked about this, there are, like the case studies on natural bodybuilders. And it, I believe they're all on males that I'm aware of at this um, time, mostly. There are some uh, female studies that have come okay. out. Um, I would say that the most rigorous ones so far, in my opinion, would be the males. Like the Chris Foss case study is probably the best one, in my opinion, yeah. um, just because it was following his six-month diet and six-month off-season. And he's a researcher, so he has access to everything. So if you're interested in a really well-done case study, Look at the Chris Foz, F-A-H-S, um, one, and you can probably link it in the notes if you haven't done that already before. But that was a really good example because they tested, I mean, everything. And, and the, the issue with most research is that, you know, you're limited by either what you have access to or money. But again, he's a researcher, so he had the opportunity to do all this in his own lab. So it ended up being really great. But they have done some, uh, we just... We did one in, um, in Campbell's lab, why I didn't do it, but he and one of the graduate students did it. And it was mixed, male and female. Um, it was following their post-diet as well. So that, I don't know if that's fully published. I know the abstract is out, but that should be out, like, published soon. Um, but yeah, so in any case, it is mostly males, but there are some new things coming out with females. Um, and the one thing I liked about Chris's case study as well is that we actually knew that he got stage lean. So a lot of people, a lot of the research, too, that's coming out is, oh, these are competitive bodybuilders, but the women are still you know, they're, they're reporting like 17, 20% body fat. Well, in, in a lot of divisions, that's just not cutting it. You know what I mean? So 
in the Chris Foss case study, he was, I don't know the exact number, but he was a natural male bodybuilder who was very, very shredded. So that's like another, again, kind of great example um, of understanding research and understanding like, oh, hey, were these just like recreational bodybuilders uh, or was this a competitive elite bodybuilder? Yeah, that's that's a great disclaimer because I <laughs> I mean, you, you will see people that don't run into any of these issues, but they're just not lean. So yeah, they're not lean enough. Right. And <laughs> I, I can think of I can think of maybe one or two girls that I've worked with out of like hundreds and hundreds that are can naturally get into that condition with very little issue. Like it's just not heard of. It's and not common. I, I'm sure you run run into this too. A lot of your clients or people will just ask you like, "Oh, hey, well, why can't I look like so and so? Look at how lean she is year round." And I I go look at her before pictures. She was a hundred pounds and now she's a hundred and twenty. So if you are somebody who used to be very, very, very naturally lean, and then you've added muscle, those are like the only outliers that I see in my coaching experience who can maintain a very lean body fat pretty much year round and build muscle and feel good. Everybody else outside of that like 2% of people (laughs) need to add body fat in order to feel good and in order to, um, you know, make progress, not even just feel good. Like, Hey, you, you, now you've recovered, but are you actually making progress? And that's the one thing that's so frustrating. I don't know if you've heard this, you know, floating around too, but, um, I've never fucking said this, but apparently other coaches are saying, Oh, there, there's a weight limit that I'm setting you at this off season, or there's a, this, that. And it's like, I, I, everybody looks so different with weight. Somebody could gain 10 pounds, like three clients could gain 10 pounds and it looked completely different on them. Um, and there's also how you feel with those 10 pounds. You know what I mean? Like that might not be enough for somebody. And there's plenty of people like myself who every time I diet, I'm pretty much, if I want to feel good and make progress in an off season, and then I actually want to get shredded, it's about 30 pounds. Also I'm five, seven. So I'm definitely taller than some of the other competitors. But if I'm trying to stay within that 10 pound range, 10 pound range is like, Hey, now the hammer's getting dropped. You know what I mean? Like that's not even like livable for me. So like 10 pounds is not even livable. (laughs) And and there's going to be differences there. I'm going to be 10 pounds above my stage weight. That's an arbitrary number. Like that means absolutely nothing. Now is the goal to get completely fat and sloppy off season? No, but the goal also is not to say, Hey, you know, what if 15 pounds was better for you? And now, you know, you have a cycle, your training's going great. You're actually growing that's a completely different conversation. So it's very frustrating when people throw around these arbitrary numbers um, and people will look, oh, hey, so-and-so super lean. Why can't I do that? It's like, hey, most of the time, that's not the reality, unfortunately, for our female clients. Well, that and that and then the old deception of social media. like Well, that too. Well, you know, it's like I can... I see <laughs> 95% of the time, they're just photos they took when they were lean and Oh my you know, God. Dude, I that's mean, a, that's a different can of worms, <laughs> it, but, but it needs to be said too, because people yeah. will look at these competitors and these top competitors and people say, Oh, how are they doing this year round? Well, first of all, there's, there's two things. One, they could be lying. Huge, huge, real thing that happens. Um, I, know, I know people who literally will say I'm eating this much and doing no cardio. And then I see what they're eating and I see them doing cardio. Like why lie? Just say what you're doing. Right. Um, so there's some people who just lie, but then the other thing is, there's plenty of people who are staying this lean year round, but to your point and to the whole point of this podcast, what is that shelf life? Anybody with enough dedication and, you know, neuroticism can stay stage lean for three years, but then guess what happens? It catches up to you. Right. (laughs) And that's get ready for a rude fucking awakening when that happens. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be, and it's going to be very rude. And, and it's, you know, we talked about at the beginning, kind of like how, how it unfolds. You go through that first show, you kind of get away with pretty much whatever you maybe jump into the second show because you're gaining fat that you don't want to gain. So now, now we're past the second show and you go into that third one because you gain fat back even quicker from the second one. And it's like, okay, well, it's not working now. So, you know, what do you do? Well, you dump your coach and you go to a new coach and, and they don't know your backstory, so maybe they push you even harder. I mean, there's a number of things that can happen, but but yeah, I mean, you start we start getting into that realm, and I, I, it's like I said, it's totally different with with everyone. But I do notice that, like I said, you can get away with it just for a little bit, but one once that hits, it's it's extremely difficult. So now you took something that might have taken you um, 
eight to 12 months to recover from maybe in a good, like in a good scenario to something that's going to take you like two to three years to recover from. If yeah. you do, like, if you don't Everything, come out right? of a surplus for three years. Yeah. And, and, and that's people such, think that's made up. Like, no, it, it's not. And, and, you know, and I'm sure you've seen it. Like I, you'll get, you'll get someone where they, they have these really bad um, adaptions and they have all these hormonal downregulation and all this going on. And then you raise their calories and you do all these things. And on paper, it looks like, okay, they're doing better. But as soon as you pull them back into deficit, they don't respond at all. Mm -hmm. So that's just goes to show like it does take time. I've had, you know, I've had people like that in numerous situations. I said, um, you know, you're doing good, but now we need to do good and stay doing good for the next year. Mm -hmm. And then we can talk about it or something, you know, it's such, but it's such a hard thing for people to wrap their head around that it just, which I understand, like you're telling someone that and it's worse in these, it's worse in these newer competitors because they've never actually had an off season. They went from being probably not really liking the way they look to loving the way they looked. And now you're telling them that they have to do something completely counterintuitive to that. Yeah. And, and the, the biggest thing really is time. And there's, there's no other way to say it than you need time off. Um, and it's not like you said, you wake up one day and go, oh, I feel good today. Is it time to prep again? Nope. If somebody is that, um, they can't dissociate themselves from prep, I'm almost like, hey, like, we can't do this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't coach you through this because I will feel like a bad, like a bad coach. Right. And it's a really hard conversation to have with people, but it's like, hey, what are your long-term goals? Do you, or, hey, I have this conversation very bluntly. Do you want to do one more season or do you want to be competitive for the next five years? Because that's a totally different conversation. Yep. Between a few shows versus being competitive is a way different mindset. Because if you want to be competitive, you'll take off as much time as necessary and then you'll come back. So I think what ended up happening was that basically, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the NPC exploded because of men's physique and bikini. And over the past few years, it's just gotten more and more and more and more. And people see the end product and they see, oh, what does bikini look like on stage? That looks fine. Like they look fine to me because people don't realize that when you're, you know, flexing and in a tan and a sparkly suit and you got all this makeup on, you look pretty great. But every other day out of the, <laughs> for the past few months, you've looked like you have a problem <laughs> and your face is sunken in. You don't look very good. Your hair is falling out and you just look like a wreck, right? So people just see that end product and think, oh, I want to look like that. I want to look great in a bikini. Looking great in a bikini is not the same thing as looking great in a bikini on stage. And then what ended up happening is that bikini, when it first started in 20, 2009, I believe, 2010, was that it was the attainable division. It was the Hawaiian tropic beach body kind of look, right? And then, of course, it evolved and it evolved. And then even when I turned pro, I remember distinctly that somebody put up a picture of the first girl who won nationals and then me said, hey, this was the overall, I think it was 20, 2009, because it was five years, and the overall in 2014. Look how crazy this is. And if you were to put my picture next to the people now, five years later, you'd be like, does that girl, that, does that girl even lift? I mean, of course not. But still, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a completely <coughs> different look. And what ended up happening is that the attainable bikini body that was being, you know, pushed is no longer the case. The girls who are, I don't care what the judges say, I don't care what your coach says, bikini at a competitive level is not an attainable natural thing to walk around at. Having abs, having jacked shoulders, having glute ham tie-in is not a normal thing for most females. So if you want to look competitive, you actually have to train and eat and live like a bodybuilder. Of course, again, it's not going to be me and you don't have the same muscle mass goals, right? But on a relative scale, it's like, hey, I still need to put on size in these areas. And when I diet down, being able to hold on to that, particularly as a natural female, is incredibly hard. So even if I did gain five pounds of muscle in a year, which I didn't, but let's say I did, I'm hoping to maybe even keep one of those <laughs> when I'm done dieting, right? So it's, it's very unfortunate that bikini has been instilled as this easy division to get into when I understand where it came from, but that is just no longer the case. And I really think people need to wake up to like, Hey, this is no longer an attainable look. And until they make another division, which they may or may not, it is, it's very hard for most women to have abs and glute tie-ins really ever, let alone for months on end. <laughs> like, yeah, I like that you said really ever <laughs> because because, and if you want to go in and we've done podcasts on this too, like talking about the actual reality of what it takes to, for a lot of girls to get that, 
you know, cause we, there was such the, there was such like the, uh, the metabolic damage push for a while, right. For mm -hmm. such a long time. But what most people don't realize that haven't done it is the actual reality of what it takes to like sub 1000 calories is super common and pretty much necessary for a lot of smaller girls, at least for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just reality. Like that's just how it goes. And I even tell girls that have that I'm like, look, you know, this certain things are going to happen to you hormonally and metabolically during this prep. If you get in shape and you have to understand that it's going to take us time afterwards, no matter what I do as a coach, I can't prevent it. Yeah. I can refeed you. I can do diet breaks. I can do all these things, but it's still going to happen to some extent. And you mm -hmm. have to understand that we're going to need to work through it post show. You know, I'm going to do everything as smart as I possibly can monitor your biofeedback. But in order for you to get that hamstring and adductor separation and all that, like it's going to be rough. Yes. You know? And that's again, the difference of being a competitor versus being competitive. So if somebody's, you know, doing a first show and they just want to have fun, Hey, that's a little bit different. But if you're trying to get on a national stage and we're trying to get you in shape or you're trying to earn a pro card, guess what's going to happen? I don't care what we did off season. I think a lot of people get that misconception too. Like, Oh, I reverse dieted this off season yeah. and I'm yeah. eating a lot. So they're like, Oh, I'm just going to be able to diet on so many calories. Wrong. hundred percent wrong. doesn't matter how much you're eating in the off season in order to get a certain level of leanness, you're going to have to dig. And that level of digging is different for everybody, but low calories, high cardio are probably going to be happening. Right. And doesn't mean that the whole prep has to be like that. Right. Because I'm, I'm known for doing long preps, right, with my clients. So you don't wake up and I don't go, huh, 50 carbs. Like, no, that's not how we start a prep. <laughs> but the end is going to get there. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to get down pretty low, most likely, if you want to get in shape. Um, and guess what? If you're not ready to do that, then maybe it's not a good time to do a show. And I think that that's a conversation that a lot of people don't want to have. They want to see, oh, I remember, I'm eating 300 carbs right now. Doesn't mean you're not going to have to eat 50 later. <laughs> um, because you maintaining at a comfortable body composition is far different. I mean, how much are you eating right now and how little are you going to have to eat when you're dieting? I mean, that's just reality. Like yeah. there's, there's no getting around that. And I kind of, this is kind of the way I try to relay that to people is that think about, all right, think about what you would look like if you just didn't eat like an idiot, but you just kind of ate based on hunger and you maybe exercise a few days a week. Like what would your yeah. body look like now? That's your body's homeostatic set point. The further we get away from that, the harder it's going to get. And so, like you said, it doesn't matter. It, like that whole, like that whole idea of building people's calories up to a point where, like that, that does have merit. Obviously, we want to want to start in the best spot possible. Duh. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean if you're eating 400 calories or 400 carbs in the off season that you're going to end up at only 200 when you're done and if you start at 300 you're going to end up at 100 that's just not how that's not how it works and guess what you might be able to to be higher but you might not right there's so many factors right. but the reason to build up calories in an off season and to build your metabolism back is not to have an easier diet it's to have a better off season and i really can't say that enough to people because i think that they think oh better off season easier prep. Nope. Better off season simply means you're having a better off season and you can actually live like an all person because guess what happens after a show, right? Like, Hey, go out to eat and you know, your, your weight's up a crazy amount, right? Your digestion's all off. Your sleep's all crazy. Your mood's erratic. You don't want to be living in that kind of situation, right? So if you are living in a situation where in the off season, Hey, you have more calories to play with feeling good. You can kind of deviate from your diet and just kind of hang out. That's a huge win, right? versus the difference does not mean, oh, my diet's going to be so easy. It's, it's really never easy to get super lean unless, like we talked about, you're that kind of outlier client who really had to build up to even, you know, look the part. So that's really going to be the only person, I would say, who's just super ectomorphic. Um, right. But for the most part, yeah, an, a good off-season means that you're having a quality off-season. It does not mean that you're having an easier prep. Yeah, there's a ceiling. You know, you talk about metabolic capacity well you, everyone has a ceiling we just want to hit that ceiling and that's the best you can do it's exactly it because you'll see it a lot you can have once you kind of hit that that baseline or that where that homeostasis i could probably have the same person eat a thousand calories up or down maybe not a thousand if they're smaller but we'll say 500 up or down yeah. and they're probably still going to weigh the same 
you know, that's so something, yeah, it, it's, I always talk about in prep, it's almost like a threshold. I call it like, right. it's like, Hey, we have to, we're again, we're not going to start prep at 50 carbs. Cause that would be stupid, but we're going to be catching each, like each week for a little bit until we find that threshold. And wow, now you start dropping. Right. And I see a lot of clients struggle with that because they say, Oh, well, I'm starting to prep. Shouldn't I be dropping a lot of weight? I'm like, well, you're not 300 pounds. You know what I mean? Like you're a normal weight individual just trying to get really lean. So you're not going to lose a ton of weight right off the bat, especially if you're, you are a normal weight person, right? Unless you've just completely pushed it so far and you're just like stuffing your face 24 seven to even hold on to the weight for most people, especially most females, that's not going to be the reality. Like they're, yeah, yeah, he, that's you. But for most people, <laughs> unless you're an asshole, like most people are going to be eating and kind of just hanging out like their bodies are fine. So don't expect to, oh, I dropped, you know, you know, some carbs, I just, I should shed three pounds. It's probably not going to happen. Right. Especially three pounds of body fat, right? Like you might lose a well, little actual bit. body fat, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you it's, might lose a little bit in the beginning. Um, but yeah, I always find finding that threshold on the way down is really important. And then so, sometimes once you find that, sometimes you don't have to make adjustments at all for a week. I had a client, you know, we were chipping, chipping and found Hey dude, like, this isn't working. Like, you know, I know you want to make progress. I know this is frustrating. So I got, you know, a little bit lower, you know, like slightly more aggressive and then, um, added in some more cardio and bam, she started responding great. And we didn't make changes for literally 12 weeks and she had started glutes, but it was finding that threshold. Right. Yeah. That was, that was crazy. Like she, she's got some serious, she's very dense. So again, going back to the, you know, how do you coach people, people who are super ectomorphic can typically, um, you know, stay really lean, but they can get really stringy pretty easily, obviously. And then on the other side of the spectrum, people who are a little bit more endomorphic and they're just very muscular. Typically the off season, they get a little bit thicker, but when you diet them, you can crush them and they hold on to their muscle. So, and the, I work with pretty much all natural athletes. So this is even in that spectrum, right? So even with somebody who is a natural athlete, who just is a little bit more muscular, I can be more aggressive with her and she can still hold on to it. So it just definitely depends on the client, you know, body, of course. Um, but taking that time in the off season and also being aware that, Hey, just because we had a good off season doesn't mean that your prep is going to be easy is such an important thing to remember, which is also important to remember for that shelf life. So if you are not willing to go there mentally and physically for that prep, it's, it, there's no point in starting a prep unless you're ready. So great example. I've been in off season or not dieting for like 16 months now. You couldn't pay me to diet for a show. Seriously. You like, you couldn't pay me to diet for a show. I do not want to go through that. I know what that takes in order to get lean for me. It it's, it's a lot and I don't want to do it. So if somebody is just continuously competing, but they're, you know, they're dieting and then they kind of go off the rails a little bit, they diet and they go off the rails and then they just kind of are up and down you're not really going to see a lot of progress. So if you actually want to be a successful competitor, you need to say, Hey, when it's, when prep starts, I am ready to dig. I am ready to go all in and do whatever it takes. And that's just the reality of competing. And if you're not in that place, that's okay. Don't feel bad about it. I don't feel bad about it. I feel great. I'm really happy right now. <laughs> and but when I, when I have that itch again, it's like, okay, I'll do it. But right now I don't have that. So if you're not in a position to where you're like, Oh, I want to live and breathe this struggle every day. I would not suggest getting on stage because it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be a good process. That's for sure. And it's, and you know, and there's, there's other points that can be made there. It's like, if you, you are going to run into people and this is super difficult as a coach that I'm, I'm going to, maybe they do that first show. They looked, maybe it wasn't with me as a coach. Maybe they worked with somebody else. This is probably a more common scenario. Then they come on for an off season and, they then they we go to diet again and they just you know it's just not really there we're getting to kind of that danger zone right with food and it's just not I'm like look I just don't I don't know if this is for you I don't know if this is going to be something that you're going to want to do long term um and I mean I definitely have limits just because I've seen seen the long-term ramifications of this and I'll push someone just as hard as the next person like I because I have to for myself right and I kind of know how metabolic adaption works and where these things lie. But at the same time, there are other things that I'm looking at too. And what is this going to do to the person uh, psychologically long-term? What is it? Even if, even if we get through it and even if they're willing to do the whole, a whole couple years afterwards to fully repair, it's like, I'm, I'm like, look, we're going to do a 24 week prep 
and it's going to take you three years to be normal again is, are you okay with this? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm being serious because there's, there's people like that. Like we're going, this is going to ruin you yes. for a while. <laughs> yes. And, and people think that that is just, you know, maybe some coaches trying to scare you out of this. Absolutely not. I think it's great that people want to compete, but I also think it's really important for people to be informed about what actually happens and what ends up, what I think too, is that a lot of people, because again, they see this end result, they see the glitz, they see the glam for again, particularly for bikini. They think, Oh, I can just do that. I want to look like that. Well, it's like a bucket list thing. I would not really suggest doing competing as a bucket list for most people. Right. Um, if you want to do that, I, we really kind of encourage people to say like, Hey, we want you to have the best physique like have top physicals, but maybe schedule a photo shoot right? Or schedule something else to where you're not getting below, like, cause we all know, like for me, like I said, it's like that 10 pound mark. And that's a lot of weight to lose to still feel like total death, right? So for people yeah. to actually get ready, right? Like when I hit 135, I'm like, oh, it's game time. Like I know it's game time. And I'm, I sit at like 160, right? So that's like a lot of weight, like to, to, to lose. Um, so for most people, realistically, it's like, hey, let's just test the waters. Like, let's try and get a little lean, see how you respond, see how you feel, schedule a photo shoot, you know, enjoy this whole process. And then if you really like it, then we can do an off season and maybe we'll do a show. Um, but I think it is, it is hard for people to understand that sometimes, you know, Hey, this, this might not be the best thing for you because, and there's some people who we prep, no issues. Like, ah, I did a few shows. I'm good. I had clients who, you know, a few weeks post show, like brought their food up, have untracked meals, no real psychological issues. Training's going good. Three months. You're like, Oh, Okay. Awesome. I have people in a year later who are still fucked up. Right. And that's no fault of their own or my own. It's just the way that their body responded to this. So it's, it's very important to understand that. And then it's important to have goals outside of competing. So when people get into this, I think it's very easy to be so locked into it. Um, and you, you know, for, for good reason, you need to be focused on competing. <laughs> um, if you want to be successful, you have to be focused on it, but what ends up happening is that it kind of like this void, there's a void created afterwards. Right. And then people say, Oh, I have nothing to do now. Um, all I'm doing is dreaming about stepping on stage again. It's like, wait, there's so, so many other things that you could be doing. First of all, you could stay involved in the industry and go to shows if you're really that passionate about it. So that's one option. Another option is finding another competitive outlet that kind of works, which is why a lot of our clients will do powerlifting meets, not because they want to be the world's best powerlifters, but because it's a fun goal to have strength related goals. Some people might get into other types of training and some people might get into just things completely outside of fitness. Like, Hey, I really, or, you know, this kind of world, like lifting. Hey, I really like yoga. Hey, I really, I picked up painting. Like, do you have things that are going on outside of your life besides just stepping on stage in a bikini? Because if you don't, it's going to be really hard to stay away from it. Yeah. Well, and at that point, that's, you know, we're talking about like an identity crisis, right? We're talking about this is the only thing they identify with. And, and we talked about this on not this podcast, but another one I did. Um, and, you know, and this happens again, this happens with people that haven't been competing as long, right? Because if they've been competing a long time, they've already got this figured out probably. Yeah. But these, I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, so you're 28 years old. I'm throwing out a random number. You've done your first two shows and now you're running into this issue where it's going to require a long amount of time off, but you're freaking out because you're not going to get on stage. I'm like, well, what did you do the last 26 years of your life? There had to have been something. Something. Like, there had to, like, let's, okay, let's backtrack a little bit. There's got to be something in there that's of interest to you potentially that we can kind of push some, push some of your energy towards, right? Yeah. Because this is so redundant and competitive that you can, you can do all the things that it takes to repair your metabolism, repair your hormones and all these things without just dwelling on it, right? Because it is just repetition and steps and doing it over yeah. and over again. So I said, okay, so it's going to take us a year to fix this let's, let's focus on something else in the meantime, that's positive. And, and you can just let all this work in the background, check in with me, let me focus on the feedback yes. and, and I'll make sure that you're, you know, that you're progressing. But, but again, like it's, it's such a, and there's so many things that play into it, right? You have the identity crisis. And then we talk about, um, you know, we talk about food issues and food focus and all these things. And, and so you can get rid of these things. It's just not, it's not really a good idea. Um, to try to dive back into it. It's, 
the food, and we can talk about the food a little bit. I wanted to touch on that because this is actually a really good, this is actually a really good indicator. And I, I like to, I like to t ask my clients about this, especially these, these clients that we've been working through hormonal issues and, and um, metabolic issues. So I'm like, so how do you feel after you eat now? How do you feel around food? Like, do you, can you eat a meal and then move on with your day without the, you thinking about this meal or thinking about your next meal? Like, can you function without the thought of your food or watching the clock all day long? Is this, is that something that you can do at this point? Because if you can, that's always such a good sign for these people that have been going through a lot of these things that they're not attached. They've detach themselves from this and that they can actually function as a normal adult. <laughs> so, and it's so, it really is sad, right? Because, um, you know, this is all created from this, the combination of low body fat and, you know, the really strict dieting and also the just nature of competing. Right. And that kind of, like I said, like that dopamine hit and that feedback that you get like that, you get such a high from competing that people just associate, Oh, I need to get back to that. But then inadvertently and paradoxically, really, it just creates these food issues. And you're like, how does this happen? But it is so, so common. And it's, of course, there's some people who I say like, Hey, like you need to go to see therapy. Like you need to see a therapist because this is, this has gotten to the point where it's so uncontrollable. Now, a lot of times it is just fixed with time. And you know, if somebody has overeats a few times, I'm like, Oh, go see a therapist. No, of course not. Right, right. That's, that's normal. Right. But when somebody is every meal is like, you know, they're, they're about to get, you know, electrocuted and like death row kind of meal. That's an issue, right? Like every time I say, Hey, you just go have dinner. And it's like, literally like, this is the fucking last supper and I'm going to feast on everything. And that's like every week it's like, okay, Hey, like we really gotta, we gotta work on that. Um, and something that I've really been focusing on the past, you know, 2019 and then now moving into this year is really adding in that flexibility. So I think that for a while, kind of the craze was like, and I talked about this when we were at, um, in Atlanta was okay. Like everything's like either macros or meal plan, like back and forth, but macros are so flexible. And then I really realized that a lot of people, particularly very type A neurotic competitors took that to a whole extreme. And if I'd say, Hey, go have a meal. It was like, Hey, I just finished competing, but like, wait, you're six months into an off season. Why are you acting like this? And I started to realize that people couldn't, didn't know how to eat without tracking everything to the T and they had these food issues, even though they were tracking their macros air quotes. So I've really started adding in more flexibility. And of course, this is an issue, you know, in the beginning, it's, it's hard for a lot of people. Um, but then once they get into this place where they have this kind of food freedom and this mindset, that's like, yeah, I can go out to eat and I'm satisfied. And some weeks it might be a salad. Other weeks it might be a burger and fries. That's great. You know what I mean? And I think that it's so important to be in that place in an off season and to be able to coach people to be to that place. Because if somebody is just always like food focused, watching the clock, chronically starving, can't handle eating outside of their plan. And then they're like, Hey, can we prep? It's <laughs> like, Oh, good luck. <laughs> you know I mean, Cause the, the, the one, the one bad day that you have is going to be like your face first into a box of Krispy Kreme. And that is super realistic. And people who haven't competed might roll their eyes at that, but that is, that's what really happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like and, that literally happens. And what's cool about this though, is people don't realize there's a couple different things that can cause food issues, disordered eating. Like we have a psychological aspect, right? So take someone that's, take someone that's not a competitor. They don't have any of these things. They have some kind of psychological issue hang up with food, but also from a physiological standpoint, a lot of these things for competitors go away when their hormones are balanced, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it, it, it goes hand in hand. Yes. Like there's, and it doesn't solve everything, right? Obviously there's yeah. cause, but the biggest things are, you know, if you've regained a sufficient amount of body fat, you've been eating in a surplus long enough, a lot of these things will just correct themselves. Yes. But you know, if you don't do, if you're never doing this stuff, if you're never, you know, if you're never taking the time to eat in a surplus long enough, if you're never regaining enough body fat, if you're never, you know, getting your lab work done and actually looking at values and seeing what's going on, if you haven't had a period in, you know, two years because you've just been competing constantly, like, don't expect that, don't expect your food issues are going to correct themselves. It's not going to be it's not like there is a psychological aspect, but it's not going to be as simple as you just getting rid of triggers and detaching yourself because yes. your, your hunger patterns, your ghrelin levels, your leptin levels, like all these things are going to be so off that, mm -hmm. you know, everyone knows that feeling where they, they, they ate a meal, but now they're still hungry and, or they just want to eat more. 
like yeah. that like mouth hungry right that is an imbalance that is a hormonal hunger hormone imbalance mm -hmm. because a normal person that is like i'll give you a perfect example so right now i'm eating a ton of food right so what happens when i eat i don't want to eat and i get full really quick because my body does not want me to eat food right so yeah. there is a biological there's a response there that happens and there's the opposite response when someone's starving and super low body fat is they they get a whiff of food and their body's like oh okay let's let's eat let's eat let's eat so yeah. you know people realize they have these issues a lot of it is a lot of it is solved by correcting these hormones and that's why that's why i start talking to people like talking through these things and asking for these cues like how do they feel around food and because you know a lot of these people don't have previous history of eating disorders like there are some right there are people that gravitate towards competing because yes. it does cater to their their eating disorder past right and that's and if that's good and bad that that can definitely turn out good it can definitely turn out very very bad um yeah. but yeah i mean i try to talk people through this and and then you know obviously looking at hormone values and actually trying to give quantitative data always helps too like mm -hmm. I, I like to use something that's quantitative because it, if you are telling someone that, okay, it's going to take you this amount of time to fix these issues, or even telling them that they have an issue, they might not want to listen to you. But if I have something quantitative in front of me or some kind of like something that they can see, touch, feel, you know, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, okay. And if they still don't want to listen to me, you know what, that's then, sometimes that's out of our control. But if I can show someone that there's physically something wrong with them and they still don't want to you know, fix it, then, Hey, maybe we need to go the therapy route. Like you said, maybe yeah. we need to get some other professional help from someone that's not in the fitness realm. Mm -hmm. Um, or they, they might need to learn the hard way. Unfortunately, sometimes they're just not going to want to work with you. I mean, it happens. They're going to go pay someone else. That's, that's going to do what them. they want them to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, like I said, I, I do like to have, I do like the kind of, uh, I know it sounds I know it sounds so bad because I think I said this at the physique summit in the, in the VIP was like, I guilt people sometimes. And like, how do I, it's like, how do I get people to listen? Well, sometimes like I have to kind of scare them a little bit and show them or give them something that is so blatantly obvious in front of them that they just can't ignore it. Right. It's like, Oh, there's a lion in front of you. Are you going to run and attack the lion? Well, no, yeah. I hope not. No. Right. So maybe, but yeah, but potentially, you know, so, so yeah, having something like having, especially for coaches that listen to the show, like having something quantitative and something like that people can actually um, measure and look at and think about something that's thought provoking. It, it does help. Uh, now, obviously people aren't thinking logically in this state all the time, so it might not always work, but it definitely does help. Yeah. And there's, so there's an interesting tooth, interesting thing as well. So a lot of people will, you know, particularly with hunger hormones and just hormones in general, and let's say like their cycle, right? There's a, a big theory about energy deficit, right? So if you look at a lot of the research, like Ann Laux is a really kind of big proponent of this. So energy deficit would be looked at, you know, as how much energy you're consuming as well as how much you're expending, right? So a lot of people will look at it and say, oh, if I gain this weight back, I should have no issues with my hunger anymore, right? And I'm, I'm sure you deal with a lot of clients as well that will gain the weight and the issues don't go away, right? So sometimes it's not just say, hey, we need to replete your body fat level. Um, then there's other issues, right? So there's one thing first, hey, easy, easy fix. If you've been very depleted and very dieted, you need to bring your body fat up. You need to bring down your energy expenditure. Pretty simple. Right. But then from there, what happens when things aren't fixed? We need to look at hormones. We need to look at your lifestyle. And most importantly, we need to look at your stress perception. So this is something that is so, so important. And all of the clients in my experience that have a lot of these issues that go hand in hand, typically have a really poor stress management and poor stress perception. So they're the people who are always looking at stress as very as um, very debilitating versus very challenging. And that's actually like what they call it in the literature. Um, and there's a ton of, you know, things that happen from there, even hormonally, like down to the hormones, things are different based on how you perceive stress. So if I'm talking to somebody and they're having all these food issues um, and you know, they're not sleeping, they're having you know, relationship issues, their job is erratic and they're constantly stressed and they can't get a routine down in their life, 
well, why the fuck do you think that, you know, you'd feel great around your food if you've already had these issues beforehand, right? So there's a lot of times it's, you know, it's not just the calories, right? So there's obviously calories and body fat, there's hormones, and then there's also just kind of like life and stress management in there as well. And as a coach, you have to really look at all three of those pieces. Um, because without that, you're, you're never really going to have somebody who's stable. And of course, the fourth would just be time in general, because time typically will fix a lot of those things. Um, even if you don't have, you know, again, for me, for example, like, I feel comfortable, I feel most comfortable talking about myself just because some clients want things more private. But so for me, like I taken the 16 months, it probably took me 12 solid months to feel like, wow, I'm waking up and like, I feel good. You know what I mean? And that was, you know, I've not been dieting now for that long. And sometimes it, it takes that long, right? And, and there was nothing that I could have done to replace the time that it took. <laughs> like nothing could have replaced that year that I just didn't diet. Um, nothing could have replaced like all the ups and downs I had and all that just time spent away from being in deficit. Because what also happens to people who think that they're, oh, I've gained all this body fat. Well, guess what they're doing? They're still very up and down. So they might overeat, but then they might come down a little bit and they might come up and they might come down. And that's very stressful on the body as well. So even though your weight might not be changing a ton, if you're going up and down, as a net with your food and your intake and your output, that's going to be a huge stressor on your body as well. Versus just say, Hey, I'm just going to be kind of consistently, you know, maybe I do a little bit of cardio for heart health. And then I'm kind of consistently eating a good amount versus these fluctuations of, Oh, I'm going to overeat. And then I'm going to undereat. that balances out net the same, but your body responds to that very differently. Yeah. Yeah. And you, this is, I actually have told at least three people this this week is that they were stressed, right? They're having stressful weeks. You people, you cannot eliminate stress in your life to the no. full extent. Like it's just not possible. If you're a functioning adult and you don't live in a bubble, like there's this whole You're gonna be more stressed if you think you're going to eliminate <laughs> your stress. That's exactly <laughs> you need to learn how to handle stress. <laughs> that's exactly it. And and you brought up a good point too. Like there was the there was the whole push for a while, like, okay, so how do we we know there's metabolic issues. We know there's metabolic adaption when we compete and when we get lean. How do we fix them? Well, the first things we heard were regain body fat um, and replenish replenish calories, right? And and then there was a push to, well, let's do this very, very quickly. Get back to homeostatic state as quick as possible. You know, so there's different camps on the whole reverse dieting, right? But the problem is people never really, never really leave this highly stressed state, right? So I did a presentation on this not too long ago about just like the autonomic nervous system and balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic. And, and like a big part of it was perception versus elimination of stress because, and, and the thing is like most of the people we're dealing with a lot of people that are, they're driven people. So they take on a lot in their life, right? They, and it's a great thing to be emotionally invested in things, but it's also very exhausting. And that if you really care about stuff you do, and it's not, it's, it's going to be your competing, right? And the way you look, that's part of it. But it's also going to be, if you have that type of personality, you're probably going to put that energy into maybe your, if you own a business, right? Or your relationship, you're probably just going to be that type of person that is emotionally driven and just puts a lot of energy into the things that they do not physical. I'm not like, you know, if you own, not like you own a construction company and you're shoveling all day. Right. Um, but, different stressors. Right. Exactly. But yeah, but stress, you think like, how do you, how could you sit at a computer all day and be stressed out? I'm, I'm telling you what I ran myself into the ground with eating tons of food, only training four days a week and sleeping eight hours a night. I still managed to completely burn my body out. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> so. well, the coaching is interesting too because people typically are telling you all of their problems because that fits into the narrative of, hey, how's your diet, training, and cardio look? I need to know everything else, right? So digestion, mentally, hunger, and then and then there's like the whole box of like what actually happened this week and what's going on, right? So I hear the worst of the worst from everybody. And as much as you know, you try to dissociate from that it's still a relationship that you have with your clients. So you still feel all that, you know what I mean? So hopefully if you're a good coach, you're going to be, you know, kind of feeling these emotions with them. And that can be incredibly draining um, just in and of itself. Like if your clients have a bad week, whew, like it always seems to happen too. Like it'll be like a day where like everybody's just like kicking ass. You're like, yeah. And there'll be one day where like everybody's check-in is just like shit. And you're like, oh my God, like 
I'm gonna like I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> like, I feel all of these issues. <laughs> um, so it's it's hard because you can't just be like, oh, I'm just dead inside because then like, you never have a relationship with them. So it's like it's a very <laughs> thing. But yes, you can 100% burn yourself out doing you know just sitting at the computer and working and still doing all the other things right if you're not handling it properly. And I think it's so it's definitely one of the most frustrating things. People are like just do what makes you happy. Like, just be stress-free oh, all the time. Like, it. fuck off. That's not, not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> That's not helpful. Yeah. Advice. Honestly, it's harmful. Or like, here's my other favorite. When uh, people who like really have, you know, like little life experience are like, just pick up and move across the country and start something new. It's like, really? You think that's actually fucking useful advice for people? <laughs> I couldn't think of a worse thing to tell somebody than that. <laughs> like, Run away. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> that's your, life's, what you're your life's in shambles. Just move to LA. Like, Run no. <laughs> yeah. Your life's definitely going to be in shambles if you continue to just pick up and move when things get hard. So yeah. I think that the idea of, yeah, I love that elimination versus um, management or whatever the word that your perception um, is so, so valuable because the stress is not going anywhere. Your life stressors, no matter what they are, good or bad, or really just perceived stressors, right? Like, because what I perceive as a stressor is different than what somebody else perceives as a stressor. You have to be able to manage that. Otherwise, be prepared to always feel like shit, always feel run down, have digestive issues, not sleep well, gain weight and fluctuate out of nowhere, have crazy cravings. Like, these are all real things. And I actually just made a post about this yesterday. A lot of people that we deal with, the very type A, neurotic, highly driven kind of person who most likely has a dieting history, um, is going to need to take periods where they just do less. Hey, when's the last time you, you know, took a training deload? Hey, uh, how about we just don't step on the scale at all this week? Why don't we just remove a few little stressors for a few weeks and you just watch how amazing people thrive with that. Um, and it's very hard because those people think, Oh, I need to be doing more, right? Like, Oh, things aren't working. Let me do more. It's like, no, let's just remove some of these things this week that we're putting there. And then bam, wow, you actually dropped weight. And I mean, I literally did a consulting call recently and, you know, having, you know, girl having hormonal issues, weight gain issues, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. And one of the things I said was like, Hey, like, what are you doing? Like outside of the gym for like stress management, you know, like she's busy, she's a mom, like all this stuff going on. I was like, can you start like just reading or, you know, going for a walk or like we, we settled on coloring. Right. So I was like, just do something that's kind of, you know, like creative, but not necessarily physically active. Right. So some people don't like reading. So, Hey, why don't you just color for a few minutes? And she was like, you know what? That's like a great idea. Hey, let's do that. And she's, you know, she's been going on walks. She, you know, not, you know, tracking her food, been, you know, a little bit more parasympathetic and guess what? Her weight dropped and she's losing inches. And it's not even like she's trying to, you know what I mean? Like that wasn't even the goal. <laughs> um, but it's so important to sometimes say like, Hey, like what's another outlet? And like, what do we have for, um, stress management? Yeah. I, I have a lot of people to what I'll do is like, I always talk about how, one of my psychology press professors in school actually gave me this skill because I had, I've been to so many damn therapists throughout when I was younger and clear up into my early twenties. Like I, I wanted to find stuff that actually worked and that I could relate to people. And mm -hmm. it's almost always, it's almost always like the little cumulative stressors that you don't really pay attention to. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's always that, like, if you were to take a piece of paper out and write down every time you got pissed off during the day or like every time that you just felt that you know oh every time you felt like that <laughs> warmth and that little bit of cortisol dump right throughout the day it would be the list would probably be long right <laughs> so I and and I do this I do this with myself sometimes too I, I'm like oh shit I'm doing it again like I'm why am I getting okay chill out and and I'll have people like I'm like you know what you don't have to journal every single thing down but I said do it this week and write down, just write down all the times you get pissed off in the day. And they're like, holy crap, this oh, shit. is so long. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, now our goal is let's reduce that by three or five a day and let's see what happens. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll notice a difference in digestion or their training mm -hmm. improves, or maybe they're tracking their sleep through like some kind of tracking device. Right. Mm -hmm. And they notice their sleep numbers go up and quality. Yeah. And, it's like, there you go. Like these things are working. And then when, and, and it's, it's a lot easier to sell something to someone when they see that it's working, you know? So yeah. if we can, we can try to figure out like little things to do to eliminate these, but, but you're right. Going clear back to where you said, if, if you've done all the things like, um, 
you know, you've replenished body fat, you've replenished calories, all those things are there and people are still having hormonal issues outside of, outside of some rare cases where, um, there are people that may have done like serious damage to their endocrine system, which it's not super common. Most of it's repairable. It's, it's stress 95% of the time. And, and it's just, and, and you know what, a lot of it is habits that they picked up through their prep days and through these things that they've never really eliminated that they've kind of just continued to do. And they may, may not have ever done them before they started competing. Mm -hmm. They may have, you know, they may have twice as much stress after they've competed than they had before because they've just picked up new habits and, and not necessarily new habits, but also just the way that they view everything Mm -hmm. in their daily life. Like the way that they look at a situation like, Oh no, this situation's a waste of time now because I should be at the gym or Mm -hmm. this apple is different than the apple that it was two years ago. You know yeah, or I mean? like, because, oh, I don't know what's in this. I shouldn't, I can't eat it. It's like, it's, it's, it's meat and rice. Just figure it out. It's, it does. It's, <laughs> it sounds crazy. And like, I get, I get to a point where everyone's, I hate the word balance because it's just so, it's oh, so contextual it. <laughs> and it just depends on the person. I mean, I genuinely know people like I, there are people that can be more neurotic than others and not have any psychological issues, mm-hmm. but there are people that they just can't maintain it. Uh, mentally and it breaks them and they, you know, these issues just never go away. So you have to be cognizant of that. And you definitely have to, uh, like I said, it could be something as simple as write down a list all the times that you get stressed out during the week, start chipping away at the list, you know? Um, and I think another thing is people, when they hear, you know, us or anybody talk about like, Oh, stress management or take less off your plate. They automatically think they need to be like a couch potato and doing nothing. That's not what we're suggesting whatsoever. You can still be a highly disciplined, highly motivated, highly successful person who has just less neuroses around these things that are creating more problems in your life. So, you know, you can still have a great body comp, but you don't have to check your abs in the mirror six times a day, right? Like you can do that. Doesn't mean you have to stop going to the gym. Doesn't mean you have to stop being active, but it doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, I, you know, something came up today and I can only train for an hour versus an hour and a half and you have a full blown meltdown, right? So there's just differences kind of in the application. But when you hear us say this, don't think that, oh, I just need to completely stop everything in my life and just live on a beach with a, you know, beer in my hand. That's not remotely what we're talking about at all. Again, you can still be highly motivated, disciplined and organized, but just a little bit less neurotic about it. (laughs) I would argue, I would honestly argue that for certain people that mentality of doing nothing is going to make it worse make it worse because then you're like oh i'm so far from that (laughs) right i would not realistic if people and and i know some people aren't going to understand that they're going to think oh the beer on the beach is like the best thing ever for stress reduction and that's just not true for every once in a while like you look forward to go oh i'm going on a vacation but that's not going to solve anything but it's not right well yeah it doesn't for one it doesn't improve your your stress management skills at all and secondly you know, that's just not going to be the best coping mechanism for someone that is highly driven. Yeah, no, that's just like an escape. (laughs) Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, it's like you said, you can be highly functioning, you can be successful. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, these type of people, they're going to get everything done that they need to get done anyhow. So you can either be really pissed off and hate it in the process, or you can find a way to manage everything and do it with a smile on your face, or at least a neutral look on your face most of the time Uh, I guess I would say that I would say and and don't get me wrong like I still get stressed at times but it's funny because my what's what's like a used to be a 10 on my stressometer is now like a one and it doesn't really you get better obviously you get better at managing things but you also just don't you just plow through things and don't really recognize things when you just when you have a better mindset and you know how to cope um so yeah it's definitely that's definitely probably at least 50% of the battle once you get past the, the calories and the, and the body comp portion. Yeah, for sure. So cool. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, we're coming up on our hour here. Um, that's mostly everything I wanted to recover, obviously getting into actual lab work and, uh, hormonal correction would be kind of a whole separate topic. You guys need to come to one of our seminars for that. Yes. And can we announce <laughs> the next one officially? What's that? Oh, yeah, we. I think, I think so. actually, well, by the time this comes out, we'll probably already have the, okay, the poster out. So yeah, next one is going to be, what was it? April, second week in April, I think. No, it's the first week. Is it the first week? First yeah, week I hope April. so. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's right. what I booked my trip for. So yeah. uh, it's the first weekend of April. I believe it's the fourth. I mean, yes, April 4th uh, in Nashville, we'll be doing another physique education collective. So it's going to be really great. We'll have all the details super soon, but I'm stoked. I can't yep. wait. The last one is really good. Um, and I'm really excited for the, the new topics for this one as well. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Um, and we can, I mean, we can put this up in the show notes, but if anyone wants to check out any of your information, follow you, any of that, where can they mm -hmm. find you? So uh, Instagram, YouTube is Lauren Conlon, L-A-U-R-I-N-C-O-N-L-A-N. And then our website is teamlocofit.com. And on there, we have links to tons of podcasts as well as all a bunch of articles that we've written um, myself and the teammates. So it's a lot of science, but just broken down and easy to understand way. So you can check that out. So all the different types of content, we got it. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much for coming on. And guys, make sure you check out our sponsors as usual. They make this possible for us and we will talk to you guys next time.